Poshet just landed from Eretz Yisrael, comes straight here, and we're going to get straight into the speech that I want to discuss. There he was, he was an old man, he had lived a wonderful life, many, many years, down in this world. And it came time to go and give Din V'Cheshven in Shamayim, in front of the Melech Malchem Amlochim, in front of the Beishtin Shalmala. And he's waiting in line, he's an elderly man, he's waiting in line to wait his turn to get to his time to be judged. And all of a sudden, they bring a younger man who had unfortunately passed away much earlier. And they bring him in and they skip the queue, skip the line all the way through. And he's like, chutzpah, what do you mean? Where's the Derek Heretz? I'm an elderly person. I died, I died an old man. I should have Derek Heretz. He should have Derek Heretz. He shouldn't just squish in the line. What is this? And they said to him, no, 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 that's not how it works over here. In Shomayim, it doesn't go by how many years you lived. It goes by what you did during those years. What you produced during the time that you had in this world. Today, Be'ez HaShem, it's an amazing, amazing Yom HaChizuk. A chizuk for me to see how many people are interested in trying to work on themselves, to grow, to get more connected, to get closer to the Rabbani Shalom. And ultimately to produce in this world what they were sent down to do. Revelia Lopian, famous Mashkiach, once said, What's Pshat in this generation? What's going on in this generation? Where are we holding? What's happening? And he said an amazing marshal. He said, sometimes you have a wolf. A wolf is a very powerful, strong animal. And a wolf sometimes likes to go and get something to eat and it takes a little shepsala, a little sheep, and it tries to chop the shepsala, try to kill it, to eat it. He needs to eat something. So he takes the shepsala, he takes the sheep, and the sheep is fighting for his life backwards and forwards. And there's a fight between the fox and the sheep until eventually it goes silent and there's no fight anymore. And all you hear is silence. Why? Because the shepsala has been placed by the wolf in a death lock. That means that any move the sheep makes, it's going to be able, it's going to die. Because the wolf has it in such a grip that it won't be able to turn any direction. So there's silence. Says Rav Elia Lopian, we're living in a generation where there's silence, but the Satan, the Yetzirah has us on such a, such a grip that he's chapped us and we can barely move, we can barely go in any direction. But no, we have to scream. Today is that screaming. Today is that screaming that we're going to say to the Rabbi Shalom, no, we don't want to do this. We want to be better, we want to be higher, we want to be more connected, as we'll explain. So there may be, there may be people here who say, well, it's not really Nagaya to me. You know, I, I don't get involved in these things. I don't have these technolo- you know, this technology, whether it's a smartphone, whether it's internet, whether it's computers, whatever it may be. I don't have it. So it's not Nagaya to me. What, 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 why do I need to hear this for? So I'll tell you. Rav Shalom Shadron, famous Magid, traveled the world giving chizik. And he comes to Borough Park. Now, if you know America, Borough Park is a pretty from place. And he gets up and he gives a drusha about what? Shabbos Kodesh. They said to him after his rebbe, you know, 
Man, giving a drasha about Shabbos Kodesh. <laughs> we keep Shabbos, Baruch Hashem. We're from a Yidin, a Yidin. We keep Shabbos. What are you giving a drasha about Shabbos for? So he said, I want to tell you a marshal. Imagine if there's chas v'shalom a fire. And there's a fire in one home. When the people come to put out and extinguish the fire, do they only spray the area where the fire is? No. They spray all the surrounding areas as well. Because things can spread. So even though there's a possibility that Baruch Hashem, you don't have this Yitzhara at this moment of time, but who knows when the Yitzhara will try to chop anyone. And then we have to be prepared. We have to be prepared with our weapons, with our understanding, with our chizuk, to be able to fight the Yitzhara in every situation that we're put in. I don't know how many people have been to America. I go to America, I travel a lot. I travel all over the world. I've been to South Africa. I've been to Egypt. I've been to Baruch Hashem all over the world. And I see America as the place of Gashmias. In other words, if you want real Gashmias, you go to America, right? You go, one of the boys took me once to an ice cream store. Now, it's not just, again, Baruch Hashem, you guys have Kleinblatt, it's Kavaldic. Oh, but I might say in America, they have an ice cream store with an ice cream van in the store with flavors coming out of your nose, every type of flavor, every type of toppings and chocolates and zakat. I, I couldn't believe it. They, they invest so much time, they have a building just for an ice cream store. That's America. Baruch Hashem, Gashmias. Okay. So, can you imagine? You go into such a store, you go into such a shop, and you're deciding you're having double-layered chocolate with, with, with vanillas and, and strawberries and blueberries and this topping and this type of thing, and it's piling up over there. You turn to your friend that you came with, and you said, okay, what would you like? What are you going to take? Um, I'll take vanilla, please. Oh, come on. Seriously? You can have whatever you want. It's beautiful. It tastes so geschmack. It looks so nice. What are you taking vanilla for? So he says, well, I don't know. I only know vanilla. I've never tasted anything else. And therefore, vanilla is good. I like it. That's what I'm going to have. I don't need to have anything else. I think it's a wonderful idea to understand life. You know, sometimes we only see life in the way that we understand it, in the way that we personally experience it, without realizing what's out there. Not necessarily what we have, but what we don't have. In other words, if we have a life that we're connected to the outside world, whether through internet, whether through a smartphone, whatever it may be. So we look at that life and we say, well, that's what we know, that's what we're used to, it looks good, it sounds good, it's great, it's going good. You're just taking vanilla in a beautiful ice cream store. You don't realize what's out there if you would only taste the other flavors. If you would taste the flavor of life when you're not connected to the outside world and technology at large. And we'll speak a little bit about that also. Can you imagine what that is? Can you imagine what a life that may be? But often we don't even realize it. Because we've only tasted vanilla. So if you only tasted vanilla, you only know what vanilla is. But that's a shame. Because life is a different life. You know, the average person. They say the average person looks at his phone about 160 times a day. 160 times a day. Okay, that's approximately about every six minutes, right? And I'm sure you've seen people with phones every minute taking it out, checking, not that there's anything to check, but just in case they feel themselves to be so important that people are sending their messages that they need to answer at this moment of time, every six minutes, they're looking at their phone. It's mind-boggling. You know, if you make the the cheshman, the you make the maths, it's actually interesting if a person reaches approximately the age of 90 years old and he looks back at his life, 
So he sees that about a third of his life he spent sleeping, and about a third of his life he spent with a relationship with a machine. That's what it is. A third of your life? You look back at your life, you're like, seriously? A third of my life I spent connected to a piece of metal, to a machine, to a screen? That's really what I wanted to spend my life? Is that really what I'm here for? Is that the purpose? So the question is, why do we need to do this? What's the purpose of today? What's the purpose of your school that I've seen in the emails and I've seen in the contracts and I've seen the most amazing activities that I've seen outside that you that you're, you're zoicha to be a part of. It's amazing. The effort, the time and the money that they put in for this event is amazing. But so why are they doing this? For what? Who needs this? What's the purpose of it? Are we really going to gain anything from it? So the truth is, you know, I, I get where everyone's coming from. Again, I don't know where everyone specifically, but you know, as a general, I, I, I get it. You know, I grew up also, I had screens in my house. We watched things. You know, we, we grew up that way. I have a yeshiva in Yerushalayim for beautiful, incredible, beautiful boys, beautiful neshamas. And many of them struggle with these issues as well. And over the years, hearing more and more of the struggles that people have in our generation, emails that come in from around the world, literally, from all directions of life, from the most Hasidish that you can imagine, to the most yeshivish, litvish, off the derech, whatever you want to call them. I've seen them all, I've heard them all, I see what's going on. And I can tell you 100% that there is a real purpose to today's event and today's activity that's going to help you. Not in the next world, that's something else, but in this world. That means you have an opportunity today, if you wish... To change your future. You have an opportunity today to be able to carve out, to form a totally different future than what you may have had if you wouldn't be here today at this event. And it's such an amazing thing because we often get so connected, we get so involved in what we see. You know, just take a simple idea, take a movie, right? So again, I don't know how many people have watched, haven't watched, do want to watch, don't want to watch... Pretend that they never watch, say that they never watch, whatever it is. But you get the idea, you know, Hollywood is made up of billions and billions of dollars to just do one thing, to fake you into believing that it's true. That's what the whole thing is. The whole Hollywood is that way. It's to make you believe, wow, that's amazing. And the problem is we get so involved in everything when we watch something that we become a part of it. And it gives us values subconsciously, by the way, people don't even realize this, subconsciously, you've got these values. I see this years and years later when people get married and they'll ask questions and they'll say things and I'll be like, how do you know this? Why are you asking this? Where are you coming from? And the answer is very simple. You're coming from Hollywood. Because after all, if that's all that went inside the brain and often that goes in very deeply, so it affects everything. You don't even realize it. It affects who we, who we marry. It affects what we do when we are married. It affects how we bring up our children. What type of home we have. It goes on and on and on and on. The type of things that it affects is, is, is unbelievable. And subconsciously, all it's doing is trying to show you that you have an unhappy life unless you do this. By the way, that's what advertising is. Right? Let's say, okay, I don't watch movies. I go on the internet, I do shopping, online shopping, all of these things. What's wrong with that? Come on. Get with the times, you know. No, no, no. You know what advertising is? And again, advertising is a company that spends millions upon millions of dollars on basically one idea. You 
are unhappy until you have this. Right? Even a simple idea, take a Coca-Cola. It's freezing cold, it's boiling hot outside, and you see this advertising of this freezing bottle of Coca-Cola. Right? It's got like the, you know, it's all moisture coming down, there's ice there. All of a sudden you get thirsty, right? I need a Coca-Cola. Well, I didn't need one two minutes ago, but now I need a Coca-Cola. And the latest phone just came in. Well, one second, I just bought a new phone about 20 minutes ago, but they just came out with another one, and now I'm going to be unhappy until I have the new one. That's what advertising is. That's what the internet is. That's what they're all doing to you, is they're trying to suck you in. And by the way, there are people that have spoken about this from within the companies, from social media, and all different types of social media, whether it's WhatsApp and Twitter, and whether it's all sorts of things without going into all the various names that we have. But at the end of the day, it's one purpose. It's to suck you in and keep you there for as long as possible. You should know, by the way, and I know this for a fact, that many of the people that are involved in social media, in other words, involved in, you know, making it, developing it, advertising it, all these things, they themselves don't have it. Did you know that? They themselves don't have it because they know how dangerous it is. They know what it does to people's lives. They don't want it. They're great at giving it to everybody else. They'll ruin everybody else's life. But their life, oh, it's not coming into my house because they understand. We're talking about going, by the way. We're talking about going. They understand the dangers. They understand what this is. Rabbi said, we're living in a crazy world. We're living in a world, I don't have to tell you. I'm sure you know what's going on in the world is crazy. People, you know, the walls, the walls of Kedusha that Yidin used to have surrounding them are crumbling in front of our eyes. We're watching them crumble down. That it used to be in the shtetl. However much of a shtetl Antwerp is, it's still nowhere near the shtetl what it used to be like in Poland, pre the war, where the Yidden was so, Rabbi Shinshan Pinkus brings this down, that the Yidden was so involved in themselves, they were so ba'achtos, they were so connected to the Rabbi Nishalaylam, they had no shaykhs to the goyim, there was no connection. Of course there came a time where that happened, and that's where everything started to fall down. But that's, that's the Kedusha, that's what a Yid is, that's what we are. And that's what we're trying to rebuild over here. And at the end of the day, it may be a difficult journey to take. And sometimes it is. We're involved. We have it already. We want it already. You know, all these things. But it's a difficult journey, but it's a worthwhile journey. Because it's a journey that if you decide today to take on this journey, it's a journey that's going to take you in a different direction. And a whole better direction. To the correct destination. And that's what today is all about. And the Rabbi Nishnam sees the efforts that we put in. He sees the efforts, he understands what we're trying to do. And we have an opportunity. You know, it's a few days before Rosh Hashanah. A few days before Rosh Hashanah, we're going to stand in Shul, on the Yom Hadin, and beg for the Rabbi Nishnam to give us, Zorcheinu L'chaim, give us life. To remember us for life, we, we want life, we want a good life, we want a great year, everything. Rabbi Nishnam says in Shari Tshu, an amazing marshal. He says, imagine you have a guy in prison and there's a whole bunch of people in prison and they manage, for whatever reason, they manage to smash a hole through the wall and everyone starts running out of the prison except for one guy. He's still sitting on the chair inside the prison. The prison ward comes in and says, what are you, a shaita? Are you crazy? Rabbi Yaina says this. Are you, what do you do? You have an opportunity to leave and you didn't leave? What's the matter with you? Says Rabbi Yaina, it's the same thing with us. The Rebunshim gives us so many opportunities to do tshuva. So many opportunities to become closer to him. Do we not take those opportunities? Today is one of those opportunities. 
Today is a time and an opportunity to get closer to the Rabboni Shalom, to be able to connect to the Rabboni Shalom and stop all of the things that we are so much connected to. You know, social media is, is, is killing people. It's killing marriages. It's killing relationships between children and their parents. I've seen this with my own eyes. I had a conversation with someone two days ago about this exact Nakuda. He has destroyed his family. Social media. Click up. I, I, I dealt with a couple in Lakewood. Same situation. They met on social media. I know people in different places in the world, Rahman and Islam, that committed suicide. Social media. Again and again and again, we're seeing this idea that it's killing people. And we have to wake up. And we have to take the opportunity. And we have to do something about this. But why? Why? It's, it's, it's gishmak. It's very easy to say it, but... It's gishmak. It's good to be connected. It's good to know what's going on. So one thing I think we have to appreciate is that Kalalisrael are a higher madriga of a, of a people. We're just not regular people. We were chosen, hand-picked, by the Rabbi Nishlan, by the Melech Malchei Amlochim. We say this in Birch HaSatoya every single day. The Rabbi Nishlan chose us. That means he wants us. That means that the Rabbi Nishlan loves every single one of us greater. Listen to this. Greater. Just imagine. If you have a couple that wait, we should never know. We should never know of a couple that wait 20 years to have a child. The pain and the tsar to go through 20 years of waiting to have a child. Can you imagine the child is born finally? Baruch Hashem, Asimcha, to have a child. Do they love that child? Ooh, do they love that child? Wow. They're going to give that child everything. They're going to give that child all their love, all their time, all their patience, everything they have because that's their child they waited for. Guess what? The Rabbi Shalom loves us more than that. Every single one of us. Because he chose us and he wanted us as his people. Ein melech am. Rosh Hashanah. The whole idea is to be mamlech the Rabbi Nishlam, Is to crown the king. Is to coronate the Rabbi Nishlam, as the melech malchem lochem. That's what we're here to do. We have to be proud of who we are and what we represent. It was a maitha. In one of the concentration camps. In Poland. And there was a Yid, his name was Rubendala, he was the grandson of Svasemis, he was a Choshevi Yid, big tzaddik, he had a bunch of Hasidim followers, and at one point they were put in place where they knew the next destination was the gas chambers. And they were petrified. They came to their Rebbe Rubendala and they said, Rebbe, what are we going to do? We're not going to be able to cope. So he started to teach them the sugya of dying Al-Kiddush Hashem. The simcha to die for the Rabbi Shalom. He went through the sugya with them. Can you imagine? All of a sudden, their worry turned to excitement. And they were almost excited to die Al-Kiddush Hashem after learning what it means to die Al-Kiddush Hashem. On their way to the gas chambers, the Nazis in Shimon started pushing them towards the gas chambers. And, and normally they had to sort of shove them, push them, prod them, beg them. Here they didn't have to. Here they, they were just skipping. They were like almost running towards the... Now the Nazis were very upset. They, they didn't like this. They wanted to, you know, brutally, you know, push down the Yidden and destroy them. Not have them just run inside. No, no, no. This is not good. And it became so much that the Yidden were so excited. It's the Maisa Shahoyer, everybody's They were so excited 
about going in to dial Kiddush Hashem, they started to dance. Can you imagine? Can you imagine the scene? You're talking about in the concentration camps right before the gas chambers, a bunch of Yidden holding hands with each other and they're dancing in a circle around and around as if it's Simchas Torah because for them they're about to give their life over to the Rabbani Shalom. And the Nazis couldn't take it. They tried to stop it. It didn't work. There's people in a different world. They, 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 they're already they're already with the Rabbani Shalom. They, they don't care. So the Nazis did the only thing that they did that they could think of that would stop this Simcha, stop this circle, stop the dancing. They took a Yiddish baby. A Yiddish baby that was born in the camps. Obviously it wasn't going to last too long. And they took this baby and they threw the baby in the middle of the circle. All of a sudden everyone stopped. Nobody's stepping on a Jewish baby. No, no, no. No one's stepping on a Yiddish baby. So a Mendela came and he took this little baby and he held it up for everyone to see. And he asked the Olam standing around him the following question. He said, Rabbi Sai, how does the sun in the sky, know that he's doing his job. How does the sun know that he's doing a good job? The answer is when everyone goes outside and has to squint and you can barely see because the sun is so powerful and so bright, that means the sun is doing a good job. So he said, how do we know, Yisrael, that we're doing a good job? How do we know that we are doing what we're meant to be doing? We were created with Selim and Akim. Every single one of us was created in the image of the Rabbi Nishra. And the Rechaim HaKadosh says nowadays it's only the Yidden. It used to be also the Goyim as well. Now it's the Yidden, primarily the Yidden of this Tzalem Alekim. We were born with an image of the Rabbi Nishan within us. How do we know if we're doing a good job? The answer is, the Goyim cannot stand to look in our faces. Then it means we're doing a good job. Then it means we have a Tzalem Alekim. By disconnecting, by becoming an, a nation, a Klal that care about who we are, and proud of who we are, and what we can accomplish, and that we have a Rabboni and we have a Klalisan, and we have a Torah, and we have Gedolim and Sadiqim, and we have the Torah to tell us where to, what to do, and how to act, then we become, and we've enhancing our Selim Alekim, and that's why the Goyim cannot stand to look us in our faces. Rabbi Nosson Vachtvogel, Zatzal, said that he has a Kabbalah directly from Rabbi Shur Leib Diskin. That he said, right before Mashiach, there's going to be a war. And in that war, all the El are going to be spared. So what does it mean, an El How do you define an El So he said, an El means someone that's moved al Ma'amim. Someone that's separating himself from the nations. I've got no connection to them. What they do is what they do. Oh, but we're Yidin. We're on a higher level. We're better people. The Moshal is given of an eagle. An eagle, as we know, is the king of the bird kingdom. The king of the birds is the eagle. Klal Yisrael are going to be carried on Kanfei Nishoim. Hashem. This eagle was hungry one day. So the eagle goes to get some food. Where's he going to find some scraps of food? He goes to the garbage, he goes to the bin, he goes to the area where they track out all the you know, leftover food from the kitchen. So he goes and he starts scrounging around, he's rummaging all over the place. And lo and behold, there's a little pigeon there. This pigeon is also looking for some food. And the pigeon looks at the eagle and says, Wow! Adonia Melech! The king of all the birds! You and me! We're in the same garbage dump! The eagle looking thinking, Ah, so I, I, don't, I don't think I belong here. So he you know, flies up to the roof of the area over there. And he starts looking, maybe someone threw something from the, one of the apartments, whatever, maybe I'll find something. And he sees a chicken. And the chicken's like, Ah! Oh, Adonia Melech, the king, the king of all the birds, the eagle. 
me and you, we're on the same roof. And he's like, no, you're the chicken, I'm the eagle. No, no, I don't belong here. And he starts to go up. And that's how it continued. Because he realized who he was. And he didn't belong in the garbage dump. He didn't belong in the bin. He didn't belong with all the little scraps on the floor. When we realize who we are, when we understand who we are, when we appreciate who we are, where we come from, the yichus, what our grandparents and our great-grandparents gave up for Yiddishkeit, what they gave up for the Rabbi and what about us? That's the question we have to ask ourselves at this moment of time, right before Rosh Hashanah, and specifically on this day. Once said over the following marshal, there was a carpenter, not just a regular carpenter, someone that you know makes beautiful furniture, but this was the top of the line, the most specialized, unbelievable, unique carpenter that made the best carpentry, woodwork, furniture to be found almost in the world. Whatever he created went for so much money, was sold at auctions. It was amazing. He made unique pieces. He made a unique piece for a very wealthy fellow that wanted a very nice piece to put in his dining room to put and display all the diamonds and the watches and the pearls and the jewelry. And he wanted to show everyone that walked into his house, all of these things. So he asked the carpenter to design the most beautiful piece for him. So the carpenter spent months and months designing it and finally putting it together. He delivers it to the rich man's home. Wow, it's a piece of art. It's worth millions of dollars. It gets to his home. He displays everything. Years go down the line. And eventually this wealthy man loses all his money. The bank comes in to take from him all of the things in his house, right? Because they're going to sell it off in order to pay back all the things that he himself couldn't pay back. So they come to take the, the cupboard, they come to take the piece, and they put it, you know, they load it up onto the back of a lorry, it starts to get a few chips on the side, and then it goes into one particular place where they sell it, one of the glass doors smashes, then it goes to another place, they can finally get rid of it by the time it basically makes its way to the seller, which is a person who has a store of shoes and shoelaces, who fixes shoes. This was in Vienna. And um, it looked like nothing. It didn't look anything special. He bought it to basically display the shoelaces. Right? So if it went from that amazing piece to that. Okay. This designer, this incredible architect, this amazing carpenter, was one time in Vienna. And his shoelace snapped. And he said to someone, where can I get a replacement. Where can I fix my shoes? Oh, there's a famous place. Everyone knows. Down that street. Make a right. You're going to see it straight away. That's the place that everyone goes to fix their shoes. Great. He follows the instruction. And he gets there. He walks in. He sees a piece of furniture. That's very familiar. He looks at it again. Can't be. What's it doing here? It's bashed up. It's all... Can't be. And then he realizes it's his piece. This is the piece that he designed and created that was worth millions that's now sitting in some rundown store with shoelaces that was originally meant to be for pearls. So the Heilige Koshnitz Amagit. The Rabbi Shalom sent us into this world with the most beautiful neshama. A clean, beautiful neshama that was made to be able to connect to the Rabbi Shalom. It comes down to this world, it gets bashed a bit here, gets smashed up a bit over there. The question is, what's it going to look like when we have to return it after 120 years to the Melech Malchem Lochem? The big day Kuhuna says the Chinuch was not for the Kayin specifically. It was showing the cover that he has because he was doing the Avoid in the Beis HaMikdash. When we realize and recognize who we are, what incredible intrinsic value we have, and the Rabbanishim wants us and loves us and cares for us, 
then it's not going to bother us what's going on out the world. It's not going to bother us what's on this internet site, what's on this shopping channel, what's on this movie, because we're different. We're higher than that. That's not us. We're better than that. We don't need to be busy with this. And that's an amazing thing because if we start disconnecting from that, we can start connecting to what we have. And little do we realize sometimes what we have in our lives. Just one, two examples, tefillah. Do you know what it is to have tefillah in our lives? You know, when you go to the hospital, you should never see the hospital, but if you see the hospital, you'll see two different types of people. You'll see a from Yid that's sitting there with his tehillim, and he's doubling through a boyni shalolim that it should be a full shalema. And then there's a guy or someone that's not zoicha to be able to have a connection to a boyni if he's a yid. And he's not, well, he's playing chess to pass the time. You know what it is to have the Rabbanu Shem in your life? I remember getting a phone call from somebody who never is a Yid, but he worked in McDonald's, completely fry, completely no shaykh as the Yiddish guy. He calls me and says, Rabbi, please, could you dub him for my wife? What's the matter? She's pregnant, she's having twins, she's giving birth now. It, it doesn't look good. I don't know what to do, but I know that you do. No, you know what that means? That we have an opportunity to converse with the Melech, Malchem, Lochem, HaKadosh Baruch whenever we want. No appointments. No, you just You just walk in. You don't have to walk anyway. You can just do it from wherever you are. You could talk to the Rabbani Shalaylam. Shabbos Kodesh. Spend time with Hashem. Do, do you know what we, you know what Yiddishkeit has? Yiddishkeit has so much beauty to it. Has so much vibrancy, has so much color, has so much excitement. But sometimes we don't feel it, feel it. And we don't feel it because we're so connected to the outside world. And we, we don't see it because we're so busy with what's going on in everyone else's life. And that's a big thing, right? Because we need to see what everyone else ate for supper. It's important to post which restaurant you went to so everyone can see what you ate for supper. That's a very important part of life. We need to know what people are doing, where they went to, where they traveled to, because that makes everybody else jealous. I had a couple. Completely no shaykhs to marriage. They were married. No shaykhs. They were fighting and screaming. and It was it was gefelach. And somebody commented to me about that couple, because they knew that I was close to the, the chosan, the husband, whatever. Wow, I want such a marriage. I said, whoa, what does that mean? What do you mean? I see the pictures that he posts on the status. Wow, I want such a relationship with my wife. And I was thinking to myself, obviously I couldn't say anything, but little do you know. Little do you know. Like somebody once, uh, one of my bochum, he actually went to Scotland and he posted a bunch of pictures of him having fun and hiking and interesting mountains and beautiful rivers in Scotland. And at the end, he said a very, very nice insight. He said, I only posted the exciting parts. There were many parts that were not exciting as well. We get drawn in by the, by the excitement, by everything. The more we're connected to that, the less we could be connected to anything that's really got Kedusha. And that's something we have to realize. You know, just picture the scene. You're young. But it's going to happen. You're going to get married. And when you get married, there's a chopper. And after the chopper, there's a yichud room. Yichud means privacy. Private. Chosan and kala. That's it. Well, can you imagine the scene? If the chosan and kala go into the yichud room, and the chosan goes running over to his jacket that's hanging up over there, takes out his smartphone, and just says, just, just a minute, please. My dear new wife, I just need to check the messages. I'm sure people sent me Mazel while I was at the Chopper. I couldn't look at it at the Chopper, obviously, right? So I need to go look at it at the Yechav room. Could you imagine such a thing, such a thing happening? But, you know, on a, on a bigger scale, on a different scale, we basically do the same thing. We tell the Rabbanishim, just, just, just wait. We have a movie right now to watch, or we have something to post, or we have something to look at, we have something to be busy with, go to shopping, whatever it may be. We haven't got time for anything that's got real Kedusha. 
That's got real connection. And that's something we have to realize. The power of something small is much more powerful than we think it is. You know, Beit HaShem, Meshach HaYom and the rest of the day, amazing activities that have been arranged and all sorts of things that you're going to be hearing and seeing and doing. It's really, really mind-boggling how much effort's gone in to this amazing event. And it's for your benefit. I don't believe the school gains anything from it. It's for your benefit, for your life. Really special. Really, really special. Baruch Hashem. And Taka is supposed to be in, it's supposed to be part of this incredible idea. But I will tell you that sometimes we look at it and we think, it's only a little thing, big deal. So I'm going to make a Kabbalah not to do this, I'm going to make a Kabbalah not to that. Does it really make a difference? So I'll just tell you one idea on that and we'll move on. It's an amazing story, Rabaran Cutler. Rabaran Cutler, before he came to Lakewood and established the BMG, based Medjur Gvar, one of the greatest and biggest yeshivas in the world, he was in Poland. And in order to cross the border to leave the war, which is what he was intending on doing, he had to hire people to cross the border. It was a process of leaving the border was not simple. He had to hire people on that end, hire people on that end, they had to smuggle him through as a whole. He did it. He made it. Baruch Hashem. Rebaran made it to the other side of the border. He sighed a breath of relief. I'm safe. I'm good. And then he realized that he left his filling. And he left his filling on the other side. So he said, okay, I'm going back. They're like, no, 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 you can't go back. Do you know what a psychona that is? It's not that you just did it now. You're going to have to do it. You're going to go back in, which is a psychona, and then go back out again. This is a psychona. It's impossible. It's my tefillin, he said. I'm going back. I'm not leaving my tefillin. They had no choice. Who's going to argue with Rebaran? So... They, uh, they hired people again. He was going to go in, middle of the night, stay by some local Goisha farmer that lived near the border. And again, towards the morning hours, before it gets too light, he's going to smuggle back in. Beis Hashem will be out and everything will be gewaldic. So he manages to get through. He knocks on this farmer's, this Goisha farmer's door. Can I stay over the night? Sure, no problem. He's used to it. Give him some money. Sleeps on the farm. Very good. Comes the next morning, before he leaves, before Baron Cutler leaves, to go on his journey back for the final time, hopefully, across the border, he puts on his tefillin. Because he wants to daven before he goes. This way he can daven, Yishevadas, puts on his tefillin. And the goisha, which he thought was a goy, was looking at him and started to cry. And Rebaran said, is everything okay? Why are you crying? He said, because I think I remember my father wearing those things also. I think I remember my father wearing... I, I never wore them, I never got them, because the war broke out, whatever. But I, 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 I never saw this before. But I remember my father putting them on. I didn't know anyone actually puts them on anymore. But Baron realized that this person was a Yid. And he said, would you like to put on Tefillin? And he said, sure, I'd love to put on Tefillin. He put on Tefillin. The first and last time he put Tefillin on in his life. Rabaran crossed the border. He made it over. He made it to America. He opened in Lakewood, one of the biggest yeshivas in the world. Years later, Rabaran said over the story, he had a dream. And in this dream, this person, this Yid came to him. This farmer. This, this was the non-Jew that was really a Jew. And he said, Rabbi, I want to tell you something. When I left this world, I couldn't really get very high up there. But then they said, hold on a minute. One time he put on tefillin. Once. And for that one time, we'll then go all the way up. We don't realize the koyach, the power, the strength of one simple maisa, what it can do. One simple kabbalah, one simple idea, one small step in the right direction. You know, we're in Antwerp, so we have to discuss diamonds. So diamonds, as they tell me, if you have a little bit, you know, bigger than another diamond, it's not the shot that it's just worth a little bit more because it's a little bit bigger. It's worth a huge amount more. 
Because the diamond is very precious. So the, even the tiniest thing that you add to that diamond is going to add in massive value. What does that mean to us? That means that every single one of us is that diamond. And the smallest thing that we look at as a small thing is not a small thing in the Rabbani Shem's eyes. It's a great thing. It's an amazing thing. Every single person here is a, is a person of courage. A person that Be'ez Hashem, the Rabbani Shem, is going to give you the strength to be able to stand up and say, I want to do this. I want to become better. I want to be better. I want to be disconnected from that and more connected to Yiddishkeit and the Rabbani Shalom. It's your choice. It's your journey. It's your life at the end of the day. But realize that you affect others. That means when you take upon something, they also take upon it. And that can cause a ripple effect, not just here in this school, and not just here in Antwerp and Belgium, but it can take a ripple effect in the entire world. And little do you know that the small miser that you do over here in Antwerp can affect people in Switzerland, in Eritrea, in America, in Mexico, all over the world. Because when a Yid does something, it affects the whole world. So today, you have this exact opportunity. Rabbi Sadiq Akoyin writes a very important thing. Rabbi Sadiq Akoyin says, I quote you the Lashon, it's in Parshish B'Shalach. He says, Just like a person has an obligation to believe in the Rabbi Shalom, so Rabbi Sadiq Akoyin, you have to believe in yourself. You have to believe in who you are, what you can accomplish, and what you can do in this world. We're only here for a limited amount of time. Let's take the time that we were given and use it to give Nachas Ruach to the Rabbi Shalom and not be busy with the outside world's pursuit of happiness. That's the American dream, by the way. It's the pursuit of happiness. It means you never get there. You're just pursuing it, running and running. This will make me happy. That will make me happy. That will make me happy. This life will make me happy. That vacation will make me happy. That car will make me happy. This phone will make me happy. It's the life that so many people are stuck in. We don't want to be stuck in that life. We don't want to be stuck in that situation. We want to be free. We want to be free to be able to be the people that we're meant to be. I want to read a letter. This letter, it's a photocopy. It's a photocopy, but it's, it's a photocopy of the original letter. I know the person that received this letter. He gave me a copy. He received the letter. He gave me a copy. You can look at it afterwards. It's a genuine letter. The name obviously has been uh, blotted out, but it's a real letter. Listen to this letter. I, I, personally, I, I, would, I would love to read this to myself every single week as a chazara, again and again. I read it to my boys twice a year during Shavim, during Hanukkah, but I think, I think, I think you'll get chazik from it, because I do. Dearest, you're probably shocked to get this letter from me. Three years passed since I've seen you last. You didn't think you'd ever get a letter from me. But I'm sure you remember who I am. I liked you quite a lot as a person. But I never accepted what you told us. I always thought of you as a religious fanatic. You're always so nice to me. We got along. But I just never wanted to hear about religion. I can still see the hurt face when you walked into the bunkhouse and saw me reading a magazine that was not for a bus Yisrael. I don't know if you remember, you sat on my bed, held my hand tightly, and looked at me. You didn't say anything. You just looked sad and held my hand. Things have changed a lot since then. Yes, I'm writing to you now, and I'm still lying in bed in the same position you left me three years ago. My hand is still stretched forward, and I want you to hold it tight again. This time, I want you to look at me with a happy face. I want you to be proud of me. I just went through a terrible accident. 
I'm lying here in bed forever. I'm paralyzed on the right side of my body. I can't move. I can't talk so well, but my hand can still write. And it's this hand that I stretch out to you. The doctors say that my case is a lost case, no recovery. But I think that this accident was the biggest recovery in my life. I'm not sad anymore. I learned the lesson. It was the hard way, but I learned. I lie here motionless and I think about all those days that I was able to laugh, to talk, to run, to sing, to dance, to play, to pray, to do mitzvahs, to help people and thank Hashem for everything. Every single movement that he gave me. But I lie here and cry as I think of what I did with all those happy days. I dirtied my ears. I ruined my eyes. I looked and listened to pictures, music, books and movies that I shouldn't have. My mouth, the most precious tool that Hashem gave us, I used for words, curses and songs that should never enter a bus Yisrael's mouth. I still see your sad look in front of my face. I still see you sitting on my bed. I still see your tears rolling down. And I see the disappointment. But how can a motionless mouth fix all the words that are said? How can it daven all the beautiful tefillas? How can it make up for all those years that went to waste? How could a dead body correct the precious time that was used to ruin my neshama? There's no correction and there's no recovery, the doctors say, but my neshama is shouting, I feel it. I feel it pounding. There must be a way to fix everything. It was last night that I found the way and therefore I pushed myself to write this letter. I want you to tell people my story. I want them to know. I don't want them to miss the boat. Tell them, please tell them, that as long as they can move and sing and dance and run and talk and listen and laugh, let them use it in the right manner. Don't waste time. Sing and thank Hashem for everything He gave you. Use every moment that you have to clean your neshama. Help others. Yes, I know that there are people out there that think they are cool and in, and they talk about singers, films, etc. with the greatest admiration. I know this because I was once one of those cool people. I'm lying now in my bed. My body is stiff. And very cool. I want all people out there to get the message. That's my only recovery. I want them to take the most wonderful body that Hashem gave us and return it as a polished diamond. This was written by a girl years ago. Obviously went to camp. And that's what it is. Rabbi Sai, every single one of us have an opportunity. Every single one of us have the strength within us to be able to detach to be able to macabre on ourselves. The greatest act that we can do of love to the Rabbani Shalom before Rosh Hashanah at this specific time is to show Rabbani Shalom, I care. I want to do something. Tshuva, by the way, is often translated as to repent. It doesn't mean to repent. Tshuva is Rosh Shav. Shav is to return. We want to return to the Rabbani Shalom. We want to go back to the Rabbani Shalom. That's where everything comes from. That's what we have to realize when we understand the devastation that this causes in people's lives. The Bittles man, people are wasting time on it, even if they're not doing Averas per se, but the wasting of the time, the involvement in the outside world when they don't need to be involved in it. Detach. And attached to the Rabbi Shalom. That's what today is. Every single one of you have this opportunity. It's your life. It's your future. This is you. You have to make this decision. It has to come from you. Nobody can force you. The school, Baruch Hashem, are doing an amazing job at putting the misgeret, the framework around to make it easier for you so you'll understand it. But ultimately, it's got to be your decision. And when it's your decision that you say to the Rabbi Shalom, and when you close your eyes, and if you sign that contract, 
you could take that contract to Yehimadin. You could take that contract to Rabbanu Shalom. Rabbanu Shalom, look, I tried. I'm doing my part. I want to get closer to you. I want to become a better person. I want to be the person that I should be, that you sent me down on this world to do. And Be'ez HaShem, Rabbanu Shalom, should give us all the siyata, the shmaya, and the koichas to be able to do that. And B'schos there, the Rabbanu Shalom will give us a chasimah, chasimah, toiva, and a gid gibencho. Amen.